From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. That's what I'm doing, but I'm up here uh, battling whatever's going around. Uh, hell yes, Mr. Robert. Thank you very much. It's me, Mike. This is Mike Davidson lives. Podcast I host. Thank you for downloading, hanging out with me for the next 30 minutes as I try to make it through. I, I feel a little better than I did yesterday. Uh, throat's sore, but I can manage it. I didn't want to put it off because uh, some pretty heavy things have been happening in the news lately. I uh, don't want to make the podcast too heavy. Um, but uh, kind of going back to what I've been discussing a little bit last couple uh, podcasts. Uh, big story versus little story. Uh, tying into a book I just recently finished, which was a Sacred Romance. About uh, you know, it's about Christianity. Can't really say I've been going to church because that hasn't been happening. Um, and Band of Brothers, which I also finished up up on uh, Netflix. And you know, when those guys, uh, the 101st Airborne, uh, toward the end of the war, they're getting frayed, flustered. Annoyed that they had spent a couple of years on a continent away from home. And then they come across their first concentration camp and it hits them why they're fighting. And, you know, there's smaller stories compared to the big one. And, uh, you know, last podcast I discussed how I had somebody uh, that I know who served in the military talk about his time in the Middle East um, serving our country. And some of the horrors... And some of the things that he saw over there. He didn't describe everything in detail, but uh, basically he described true evil. And then, uh, you know, just uh, Saturday over in Israel, uh, Hamas launches this massive, massive attack on Israel from the Gaza Strip. Um, and, you know, I think like, was it 500 rockets were launched? Uh, there are about 700 casualties, 700 deaths on the uh, the Israeli side. They have since declared war and are going at Hamas and anybody that might be an ally of Hamas. And uh, what what I find especially troubling is the fact that these guys, these alleged soldiers, Hamas, you know, freedom fighters, whatever the hell they're being called, uh. You know, they they go and they, they uh, go after women, they go after children, they go after the elderly. Uh, there's a report about a German woman that was kidnapped, raped, murdered, and paraded around in a town. And then you get this story about this, uh, this concert that was just a few miles from the Gaza Strip, uh, attended by a bunch of people that wanted there to be peace in the Middle East. You know, young idealistic kids that want to party and have a good time and whatnot. And they're attacked and they found at least 260 bodies there. 260 people killed for love and peace by a group that they, uh, you know, were sympathetic toward. And they were just killed. They were looked at as uh, cattle. And, you know, you're hearing stories about how Iran is applauding what Hamas has done. And Iran recently got $6 billion from us. And then, uh, you know, you hear about the Taliban wanting to 
go across several countries to Israel with some of the stuff that they uh, they inherited, air quotes, from us in our uh, recent skirmish in, in Afghanistan. That's evil. Um, and look, if you're critical of Israel, that's one thing. But I'm I'm not critical about Israel striking back at guys, alleged men, who do this to other people. And uh, that that's it, really. Um, it, it it sucks what happened to them, and I, I, you know, you really don't want more people to die. But at the same time, you can't let the bad guys win. Hamas, they're the bad guys. And uh, you're not a soldier if you attack women, children, and the elderly. You are a terrorist, and you are a coward, and I, I hope you get obliterated. So, uh, that's not an anti-Muslim uh, stance, by the way, uh, because I know not all Muslims are like these creeps in Hamas. But Hamas is evil, and what they did this past weekend is just deplorable. They should not be lauded at all. At all, and that's the bigger picture. That there is the bigger picture. Um, so yeah, pray for Israel. Uh, pray that uh, they don't suffer any more casualties like they did this past weekend. I mean, there, there's going to be some casualties, but th they have to end this quick with Hamas. No more. You, you can only coddle a, a group of a-holes so long before you get sick and tired of it. And I, and I hope... Israel is very sick and tired of it. Um, that's really about it on that subject. I don't have much else to say. Until um, next podcast, I guess. Um, but uh, kind of moving on. Um, and, uh, you know, th th this was kind of sad to see. Thursday, Dick Buckus, RIP to him, legendary uh, Chicago Bear, just a terror on defense, uh, died at the age of 80. Uh, Hall of Fame football player, did some acting, did some in, uh, analysis. Um, my dad said, and my dad's not a Bears fan, but he recalled watching Dick Buckus play, and he said that he was so intense that in huddles, his teammates did not want to be around him. Nobody wanted because he was just that intense on the field. He was just a rough and tumble guy. But all the stories I've heard about him post-football, when he's away from the field, one of the sweetest guys there was. In fact, uh, Big Damn Al, who I uh, worked with down in Kokomo, great dude himself, huge, huge Bears fan. And uh, he talked about how he, how he and his wife Tammy met Dick, I think it was Dick Buckus in Las Vegas years back, got his autograph, and he said he, could, he couldn't have been a, bit, uh, a better gentleman. He sat and talked with him. Very cool stuff. Um, and you, you kind of miss old school guys like that who can uh, keep the aggravation on the field and then turn it off and, and be decent to fans and just, uh, you know, go on living life like they did. So, um, uh, you know, very, very, very much missed Mr. Dick Buckus. And uh, condolences to his family. Um, my family, despite the heaviness, uh, fall break is upon us, and this weekend we are going to check out Newport down Cincinnati, uh, the Newport Aquarium. Kids are uh, stoked. Lana and Hazel, the mermaids, are going to be there. Uh, my wife said snorkeling with Santa is going to be at the aquarium. I was like, well, is it going to be there when we're there? And she goes, no, it's October. Uh, <laughs> well, 
you know, it's it's not like uh, uh, the Newport Aquarium is run by Walmart, where okay, it's October first, better put Santa in the in with the sharks. Um, but yeah, the girls are stoked. I'm not sure about Logan. We'll see what he thinks about uh, all the fishies, but uh, it, it's just something fun to do. And uh, you know, in in these trying times, you have to kind of uh, appreciate your family a little more because you never know. You, you just never know. Um. Now, this was kind of weird tonight, um, because my wife's not a sports nut, and it's been a bit since I've watched baseball, like a long bit, uh, but we decided to watch Field of Dreams. I've never seen Field of Dreams all the way through uninterrupted. It's always been one of those movies that I catch bits and parts of on television, and kind of, you know, okay, that's the story, I get it, but uh, watching it all the way through, it's it's pretty solid, and uh, so I watched it all the way th through for the first time with her, and uh, and the boy. It's, you know, and and after the movie, I was reading uh, the late Roger Ebert's review of Field of Dreams, and he talks about, he gave it four stars, and he talks about if you're a realist or a cynic, you're probably not going to like it because of all the whimsy, and I was like, yeah, this is a very whimsical movie, not a lot of it makes sense, but it's well done, well acted, uh, great bits of dialogue. Um, but I got to thinking, you know, here we are, we're watching this movie, Field of Dreams, baseball, October, postseason, but it's Halloween. And this is a movie with ghosts. You know, you got the ghost of Shoeless Joe Jackson and all these other baseball ghosts. It's a Halloween movie. Field of Dreams is a Halloween movie. I mean, the, the, the cornfield is haunted. The baseball field that they built is haunted. Kevin Costner is haunted by uh, the voice. If you build it, they will come. Or he will come. Sorry, I messed up the line. It's a Halloween. You know, if if you think my logic is flawed, just, just thank everybody that kept telling you that uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Because if you start thinking Die Hard is a Christmas movie... Then you're like, well, you know, Lethal Weapon took place around Christmas. That's a Christmas movie. And you talk about all these action movies that happen around Christmas uh, being Christmas movies. And now, okay, if it's got a ghost, if there's a haunting, Halloween movie, Field of Dreams, October classic, right there. Okay, um, <laughs> going on to some uh, other Hollywood stuff. A little more lighthearted, I guess. Not, not a lot happening with the writer strikes so uh, well the writer strike's been resolved uh the actors strike is still going uh but james burroughs famed comedy writer uh one of the brains behind cheers great show great comedy uh i guess with the revive uh the revival of frazier on paramount plus which i don't know man i mean the original frazier also a great sitcom but you can only go back to the well so often. He's he's actually going to be directing a few episodes, James Burroughs. But he was talking about the state of comedy writing and why he feels it's not as great. Interesting take. It's it's not one of these well writing is too woke type of things. I think a lot of it is. But James Burroughs goes, you know, back in the day, you know, you had three networks and you had thirty great comedy writers. Now you got like 500 shows being streamed on all these places and 30 great comedy writers. It's just the, the, the talent level is diluted. You don't have you don't have the same amount of effort. You don't have the same 
thing, you know. It's, they're, they're, like I've been telling you, like pop culture is dying. It's being diluted in this kind of as to it. He is saying, look, you've got all these writers that are great spread thin. You don't have a, a murderous row of show writers on one particular show. You've got all these people spread out, and there's something to it. I mean, you know, Cheers had a great writer's room. Seinfeld obviously had a great writer's room. Uh, the Simpsons, not necessarily a sitcom, but, I mean, Conan O'Brien was a great comedy writer. Greg Daniels would go on to co uh, co-create uh, King of the Hill and uh, the American version of The Office was also a part of that writer's room. It, you know, you just don't have those people all concentrated on one show or, or at one network. It's it's all over the place now. So anybody can be anybody can be a comedy writer. Now uh, Vince Gilligan, who uh, went on to become a great showrunner, Breaking Bad. And uh, a better call Saul. He he came from a pretty good writer's room. I mean, he was on the X Files. He wrote some great episodes of that sci-fi classic and went on to do some great things. He's uh, actually, uh, I guess, he's going to be doing a sci-fi series with uh, Rhea Seahorn, who was on Better Call Saul. Uh, and I guess it's based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Not part of the Breaking Bad universe, by the way. He says he's done with it. Uh, somebody would brought up the uh, a question: Would he ever? Would he ever do a spin-off show with Walter Jr. as the focus? Like, Walt Jr. takes over his father's empire and becomes a drug kingpin. So, Breaking Bad Jr. with Walt Jr. And he said, no, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, and he was very diplomatic about it because he, he said he liked the actor who played Walt Jr. and the character. But, I mean, it would be a big disservice to the ultimate uh, moral of the story with Breaking Bad and uh, some of the sins of the father. as you, if, if you watch the show, you find out, ultimately, Walt loses the trust of his son. And for his son to go, well, maybe Dad wasn't all that bad and decides to you know, get into drugs and deal, I, that would be kind of... That would be like pissing on the show, essentially. Besides, I, Walt Jr., he was not the best character on the show. I can only imagine what, um, and this is me speaking here, uh, not, not Vince Gilligan, I can only imagine what uh, that show would be like, you know, 15 years later, Walt Jr., you know, in the middle 30s, sitting at a table by himself going, man, I still hate breakfast. That that That's basically his character. It, there's just nothing really... Uh, more to go upon on that. Um, and, and besides, you have Breaking Bad, you had El Camino, which wrapped up Jesse's story, and of course, Better Call Saul. You can't complain about the, the, the product output from that particular um, umbrella of shows and movie. Uh, so Vince is off to do other things, and we're better off not watering that down. Spike Lee, by the way. I mean, Spike Lee, great filmmaker, very opinionated, and... Uh, just sometimes just beats the race card to death, but uh, he saw Oppenheimer, he liked Oppenheimer, and he talked about with his uh, his film class, he got a film class out there in New York, uh, his only beef with it, if there is a beef, was that he thought maybe you should show the bomb being used in Hiroshima on Japan and uh, the devastation it had on them, the citizenry there, at the end of World War II, other than that, he liked it. Um, I don't know if I agree with that assessment, though, because, I mean, uh, 
if you saw Oppenheimer, there was one of two characters that just seemed to be on screen most of the time. It was either, you know, Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer or Robert Downey Jr. Uh, on on screen as uh, the head of the AEC. Uh, but they it was either one of the two. And, of course, Robert Oppenheimer was not over in Japan when the bomb was dropped. So it makes sense not to focus on that. But you deal with the fallout, so to speak of the bomb being used and the guilt being associated with that and uh, the whole can of worms it opens up after using the war uh, the bomb so i mean i don't think it was necessarily needed you, you don't have to show that uh but but i tell you what the the criticism there from spike lee i don't mind so much i, I keep thinking back to when he and clint eastwood had that big beef years ago about, oh, there's too many white people in um, uh, Flags of Our Fathers, and then Clint's like, hey, dude, I, I used uh, a Japanese cast for scenes of Iwo Jima and a black cast for the jazz movie Bird. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> Use what makes uh, sense with the story. So at least we're not getting that one from Spike Lee. But there have been other people in the media that have been kind of griping about, well, you know, maybe, maybe Oppenheimer's too male. Maybe it's too white. You didn't get that from Spike. All right. Uh, this was a, a head turner when I saw it. Uh, Kat Von D, famed tattoo artist slash model slash former uh, girlfriend of Marilyn Manson. So, you know, she was into some freaky stuff. Uh, she's had kind of a... Well, I mean, most times this would be considered a spiritual transition. You know, I'm more spiritual... Uh, you know, I don't believe in deities, but I believe, you know, there's a spirit in all of us and blah, blah, blah. Uh, she's become a little more traditional. And it's a bit jarring. Uh, last year, I guess, she decided to part ways with uh, witchcraft because I guess she was into the whole witchcraft occult thing for the longest time. And she just said, hey, look, a lot of this stuff is making me feel uncomfortable in my house. I'm going to, you know, get rid of it, give it to some other people that might want it. But, you know, being, you know, somebody that wants a family, I really don't want it in my house. What's going on with Kat Von D? And then, I guess, uh, earlier this year, um, she, she posted the video not too long ago on social media, but uh, she was baptized. She's become a Christian. Um, and, you know, there are people applauding that. And there are people, of course, deriding that because, well... Christianity, that's our parents' religion. Uh, you know, you, what are you, old? What are you, what, you hate people? Uh, that's that's usually the, uh, <laughs> that's usually what you get from uh, uh, people who are leftist spiritualists and whatnot. But I, here's here's my take, because again, I as I said during, at the beginning of the podcast, I'm not somebody that's really um, gone to church lately. Um, but I do see and, and you, everybody kind of experiences this. Like, even when you get what you want in life, is it really what you need in life? Do you feel, do you truly feel fulfilled? And there are people that go on and succeed and do what they want and get what they want and are, are just, you know, making money hand over fist they've got fame they've got all the attention and yet they're empty inside and you know Kat Von D I think is just she kind of came to that point in her life it's just like look I mean 
Yeah, I've turned heads. I've got all these tattoos. Uh, Marilyn Manson's a freak. What what do I do? And and then here she is. She's doing this. Will she stick with it? I don't know. But it is saying something about uh, the the celebrity culture a little bit. Like you can get in and and be happy and think you're going to be happy, and you just aren't. Like Rain Wilson, uh, you know, Dwight Schrute from The Office. He uh, he's not a Christian, but uh, he, he's he's some other kind of religion, I believe. But he put out that book not too long ago and he was talking about like when he was on the office, you know, this hit show on NBC, he was miserable because he was like, well, why aren't I making the, uh, you know, my, my version of Step Brothers? Where's my big mo uh, comedy movie? Where's my breakout role? And right there and then he's having success. It's just, he was not appreciating it because he wanted more, but ultimately more is not going to fill that void. And he kind of regrets feeling that, I guess. So I guess good on Cat, uh, and hopefully she does feel fulfilled on uh, the path she's chosen. Uh, speaking of filling, uh, this more in a secular realm, and I'm talking about hotel space. Army-Navy games will be played in Boston this year. And um, there are some military veterans that uh, are going to have a hard time finding rooms. Well, let me take that back. They found rooms... But the rooms have been yanked away from them. Uh, there's a travel agency that booked, uh, I think, 70, at least 70 hotel rooms for uh, people attending this game at out at Gillette Stadium, Foxborough. And because of the ongoing migrant crisis, uh, the state, the city, has uh, decided to take those hotel rooms away from those veterans and give them to migrant families. You can't stay here. Uh, somebody else will. Well, you got to remember, too, that these are sanctuary cities. And, of course, uh, you will be a sanctuary city. Well, you, you get what you ask for. But it, it, it kind of sucks here. And, and by kind, I mean it, it pretty much effing sucks that these veterans who have served our country and, uh, you know, would like to enjoy a Saturday afternoon football game, have, they have to find someplace else to stay. And to me, this is crap uh, tourism management here uh, by those uh, in the Boston area, in the, in the Massachusetts. And uh, you, you know what? If I were the guys, if I were the military brass in charge of the Army-Navy game, I would find a different city for it to be played in. Now, granted, you know, Navy's in Annapolis, uh, Army's in West Point. East Coast and a lot of East Coast cities are uh, not in the best condition right now. And it'd be harder for the military brass to travel, um, you know, veterans. But, I mean, if you want to look at some places in the Midwest that aren't called Chicago or Detroit, you're more than welcome to. I mean, well, I don't know. I, I'm thinking you wouldn't have as much a problem, say, in Columbus, Ohio, or Indianapolis hosting this game. Uh, because by uh, by the time the game's played, all the other all the other schools are basically getting ready for bowl season, and all the uh, successful mid coaches are going to take over the next struggling big program. So they'll they'll vamoose and uh, scoot on, and uh, 
<laughs> there, yeah, there there won't be any main college action uh, until uh, the bowl games are played. So just just move to the Midwest, get it over and done with. Leave the East Coast behind, forget about them. Hey, uh, by the way, when a, a famous pop star does not attend a, an NFL game, that's not a new story. Okay, uh, Swiftless in Minnesota, Kansas City beat the Vikings. Travis Pfizer uh, hurt his ankle but still played. Everything's cool, I guess. Uh, but no Taylor Swift. That's not a new story. Al Michaels, by the way, does not eat vegetables. He claims to have never eaten a vegetable. The man's 78 years old, legendary broadcaster, and just an overall legend, so kudos to him. Marshawn Lynch. Uh, you, you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Uh, he should have gotten the ball in Super Bowl 49, ran it into the end zone, and gotten back-to-back -back championships for Seattle. Uh, but Pete Carroll decided to give it to uh, Russell Wilson, tell him to throw it on third down and turn over at the uh, the goal line. And, of course, the Patriots end up winning that game. Russ, uh, Marshawn Lynch laughed in Pete Carroll's face after that happened. Marshawn Lynch, just, he said, I laughed in his face. And I don't blame him for that because it was a stupid decision. Uh, Marshawn Lynch is a legendary running back in his own right. Should have gotten a touch. Did not. Did not. All right. Uh, wrapping up, there's a little quick hit of NFL action here. Brock Purdy, San Francisco 49er QB. And, uh, by the way, 49ers crushed Dallas Sunday night. Just crushed them. Dak Prescott looked terrible. Uh, Brock Purdy, I think he's making $840,000 a year. Not quite super rich in the NFL. But, you know, uh, you and me, that's a pretty good paycheck. $840,000 a year. Not bad for somebody that I think was at one point, what, third string? Mr. Irrelevant from uh, the NFL draft. Uh, he is currently living with uh, a roommate, one of his uh, linemen, uh, just so he's not spending all of his money, you know, out in San Francisco where rent and real estate are just super cheap. He guy's making six figures and he's got a roommate. Crazy. All right, yeah, that's uh that's kind of a kind of the beginning of the um, uh the doom loop here. Uh doom loop in DC. Um and again, kind of speaking to how bad things are uh economically and just in terms of uh enforcing laws. There's a CVS in Washington, D.C. Uh, if you walk into it, you'll see nothing but empty shelves. You'll think it's a store closing, but what happens is they get like a weekly shipment, and, and all stores get shipments. I mean, that's how they keep the shelves stocked. Um, but there's like a, a group of like 45 thieves who will walk through and clear them out. Just, just do it. It's, it's just another one of these uh, flash mob type things. They just walk in, go in, take things. And they're gone. Pharmacy in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, CVS. Uh, how long before you think that place is going to close? And uh, by the way, what was this newspaper? This was uh, Sacramento Bee I was looking at. And this one would make my, me eye, roll my eyes. Uh, they're suggesting to fight all the shrinkage, the loss prevention that these stores in, in Walmart and Target and all these are, are included. The best way to do it is not to have more cops on hand because uh, it would be too expensive. No, uh, the best way to do it is to put more things behind 
lockable casing. So now you have to get a, a store clerk. If, if, if you were to follow their line of logic, you have to feel like a criminal. Ask a store clerk to open up the GD um, cabinet so you can get your deodorant and go home. Um, whatever happened to just prosecuting the a-holes that are stealing things? That would be that would be ideal. Enforce the laws you already have on the books. But then again, you know, people's feelings would get hurt and it kind of goes against the message, I guess. All right, uh, so the FEMA EAS test. Remember that last week? And uh, again, I had my phone on mute, so I didn't hear it. I got it, I just didn't hear it. So, you know, pretty ineffectual. Apparently... Not everybody got the memo to put their phone on mute. And by uh, everybody, I mean quite a few Amish people didn't get the note. The uh, I guess there are some Amish here in the United States that um, they, they don't follow the rules all the way. So they have secret burner cell phones. And uh, when the test went off, they were heard, and now they're being shunned. But it got me thinking, I mean, hell, if you're Amish and you have a cell phone, wouldn't you have to have your phone on silent all the damn time? Now some, now Grable's uh, side chick in Lancaster has been found out by the missus, and he's in deep S. He's sleeping out in the barn for the next uh, eternity. Oh, um, let's see, McRib is back. They're back from their farewell tour, which just proves that uh, they are the kiss of fast food sandwiches. Uh, although, I'm, I would argue the McRib is a better bass player than Gene Simmons. And, uh, okay, I'll wrap it up. I'll wrap it up finally. Uh, Powerball jackpot. Monday. The drawing. It's uh, $1.55 billion with a B damn dollars. If I win it, I don't know what I'll buy, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm not giving it to Iran. And with that all said and done, I'm done. Until next week, stay, well, not next week, here in a few days. Twice a week. Stay fresh, Jesus. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live. 